I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. This special episode is a recording from a live webinar we ran back in February as part of our Future Proofing Data Platforms online event, covering establishing best-in-class multi-cloud strategy. Felipe was joined by Kieran Clulo, Director of Data Platforms at IAG, and Stan de la Thewers, Head of Data Platforms and Engineering at Suncorp Group. Felipe explored all aspects of multi-cloud strategy, including simplifying your data architecture, regardless of whether your systems are running on-prem, in the cloud, or a combination of both, and optimizing your agility and efficiency across your cloud infrastructure. Tune in to this podcast to hear from Kieran and Stan on the best approach for both. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome everyone back. Our next session is around multi-cloud. We've had so many questions around this space. Traditionally, people start with one cloud. Obviously, there's organizations moving to the cloud to moving to one cloud. There's organizations who are using a lot of one cloud, thinking about, you know, is the grass greener? And what does that take to jump to a world of multi-cloud? So we've got excellent, excellent panelists today. We got Stan, who's the head of data platforms and engineering from Suncorp. We got Kieran, who is the director for data platforms for IAG. Gents, thank you so much for joining. We might start by asking you guys to tell us a little bit about your remit and about your multi-cloud journey. Stan, can you kick us off, please? Sure. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. Um, so Stan Lelotair is on the head of data platforms and engineer within Suncorp. Essentially, my merit is all data applications, um, whether that's anything to do from infrastructure all the way up to, let's say, your analytical tool sits within my merit. Um, so essentially, we provide a service um, for the whole organization to work on what we tend to call more an ecosystem than just a single platform. Um, vastly vast for Suncorp. We obviously have banking, insurance, multi-brands, and a lot of different business lines that we support in that. So that's kind of my merit. Um, over the last couple of years, um, Suncorp has um, had quite good cloud capability. Um, we were one of the first really to dive into AWS years and years and years ago. So a lot has matured over time. So um, what we'll discuss today is a little bit as in um, what are kind of the strategic trade-offs that we've made, how we kind of approach that, um, why multi-cloud or why not, and kind of what we have done. So um, we'll dig into that a little bit later. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. Um, Kieran, from your side, um, tell us about your, your remit and a bit about your journey so far. Yeah, so um, Kieran Clue, I'm um, Director of Data Platforms at IAG, which for people who don't know, IAG owns uh, brands like NRMA and CGU and, and several in New Zealand as well. So basically Australia, New Zealand based. 
Um, I'm currently also seconding as the executive manager of engineering excellence, which is cloud, the cloud program and um, SRE, which is sort of adjacent to this talk as well. So I've got two hats on today, which is good. Um, our journey has been like many companies, long and, and arduous in, in some places, but exciting in other ways. Um, we, we run a multi-cloud strategy at IAG. Um, we use the, all three primary cloud public, public vendors, also on our own private cloud using OpenStack. We're increasingly looking to move more into the cloud workloads as we, you know, go up the mature like many organisations, um, albeit being a, a regulated industry in, in the financial services sector, we, you know, we have to make sure we dot our I's and cross our T's as we go on that journey, which is what I'll probably touch on today. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, so maybe a good good point to to open up, uh, uh, to kick us off, I'll, I'll open up to both of you, the um, maybe why multi-cloud? Why should people consider it? Um, and is there a particular point in, in, in an organization's journey that they should um, increase the focus that they have on, a, on jumping into a multi-cloud world? Um, any of you want to take, take a, a, first, a first pass at it? So I think you kind of have like three main drivers. First would be cost, right? You want to potentially play out um, public cloud providers in terms of cost and optimization there. Um, that would be kind of the first. Second, and that would be true for Kieran being in the same um, industry as potential disaster recovery capability that you want to drive or that the regulator might mandate on your, your industry. And the third one would be capability, right? Each cloud provider does have, um, to a certain extent, generally the same capability, but they have their niches and their um, their pros that they have on certain products that they offer. Um, so I think those are kind of your main three reasons why you would consider a multi-cloud strategy. Awesome. Yeah, I'd echo that. I'd, I totally echo that. Um, you know, I, I guess I, I might flip the order um, a, a little bit and say, you know, we're not, well, obviously cost is a concern, but one of the most important things for us is taking advantage of capability from a competitive landscape point of view and servicing our customers better which is really, at the end of the day now, our catch cry at IOG is we make our customers' world a safer place. And that's actually, you know, particularly things like AI, TensorFlow and GCP is really important for us to do that. So, Yeah, that's great. And one of the ones that, that we mentioned was around cost. And um, a lot of people, when thinking about multi-cloud, might think that um, there's going to be an increase in cost. Um, either either from a, from a utilization of the cloud resources or from a skills and people perspectives. Um, so can we explore can we explore cost a bit more uh, and how has that area um, um, how's the journey been for you guys in that space? So I think cost boils yeah. down to, oh, to, to storage and compute, right? So um, what you do find is that those prices vary. Um, if you want to kind of take take advantage of that, you need to be able to switch your load around quite quickly. So um, in order to do that, you actually need to create a foundation of automation um, and obviously the basic integration to be able to do so. And that's going to take already a cost um, in terms of setting it up. So you're going to have to weigh that down. But there are synergies of working, uh, moving workloads off um, for large organizations, sometimes there are bulk deals that you do and, and as such, sometimes switching or 
um, as a new customer, you might get a better deal or you move it around. So those those are realities. And the, the more competitive that um, cloud environment is, the better that the deals that you get. So um, we've seen that in as consumers in our market, organizations or let's say businesses where there's a lot of competition tends to drive the cost down. So um, we try to take advantage of that. Yeah, it seems like from a cost perspective, um, cloud utilization needs to be either super predictable and long-term and you can yep. lock in things um, or that you can optimize extremely fast. Um, uh, is that, What do you think on, on, on that, Kieran? And, and what do you see the, the, the cost um, levers that you guys have um, from your perspective? Yeah, I think just in terms of the history of it, I think, you know, I've been an IG coming up on five years now and it's really our ability to execute in the cloud, public cloud, has really matured significantly in terms of controls and i think it's about control so when i first arrived you know it was i don't want to say wild west but pretty uncontrolled right you people could spin things up um create their own accounts in amazon and so we we kind of you know really had to start to pull that back and create some guardrails about okay how when can you put a load in what sort of loads can you do what is the process and i think it was fair to say that that process became quite onerous um and so then we had to figure out okay how can we unpack this process and make it both you know safeguarding iod's commercial interests and, and making sure we can but also that we can deploy in a reasonable time and not make it too burdensome i kind of refer it to sometimes as sometimes as the cloud tariff um, for federally regulated organizations in the sense that there is a quite burdensome um, upfront you know, paperwork cost, bureaucratic cost in order to get the ticket to ride. And, um, you know, trying to reduce that cost and that friction is, is really important for us to be able to deploy. If you look yeah, a little bit back in terms of the history, right, um, let's say 10 years ago, the only player in town was AWS. So if yeah. you were early adopter, um, you probably still have an AWS footprint even today. But Azure, Google, they've all matured up to the point where um, these become really viable options either to adopt or to switch towards. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and, um, and Stan, from your side, how, how do you guys look at the, at the guardrails that are required and, the, um, and if you can tell us a, a bit about how automation can support those guardrails uh, in terms of your, your experience? Yeah, so um, we emphasize a lot on automation, especially from an infrastructure perspective, right? So what we want to do is be able to um, maintain what is an immense large ecosystem of solutions um, as effectively as possible. And from an infrastructure perspective or a cloud perspective, you look at techniques like um, infrastructure as a code or your immutable platforms, right? Infrastructure as a code meaning um, rather than to manually spin up a server, I'm going to use a script that defines, let's say, the, the components of which server I want, which size I want, et cetera, um, which versions I want of my software um, on that as well, and maintain that as your source of truth, rather than to manually code those things. Yeah, And so that allows um, for automation. On top of that, if you want to go multi-cloud, um, you're obliged to use a containerization strategy. Um, you can't do that. Obviously, part of an infrastructure as a code technique as well. So these are quite enormous, um, let's say, 
decisions that you need to make that you need to take control of. And that needs to be that base capability or that foundation needs to be there. And, and that will define your guide, your guide rails. The rest is really up to then business value um, that you create, whether that's agility or anything like that. Mate, that is fantastic and very refreshing. Um, yeah, in, in the organization that I work in, it's it's a, a I guess more a, a later stage startup maybe. So it's about a hundred people now, and we at the moment we're we're moving into the first step that you're saying. So we're more on developing patterns uh, for people to be able to um, you know uh, create the containers and deploy things in the cloud, and for that to to have ideally kind of like one consistent approach as much as possible um, and, and trying to minimize the, the forks, a risk-based approach is, is refreshing. So that, um, that, is, that is great. Um, how, how does it look like uh, from, from your side, Stan? So I think um, if we look across my ecosystem, right, um, there are a couple of things there. What I find in, uh, very Challenging sometimes if I talk to my digital counterparts is they've got easily um, transferable workloads. And I think that is tends to be very difficult in a data ecosystem. Um, now there's some interesting capability that let's say a certain provider can have. But so it, it tends to be pockets of multi-cloud, not necessarily everything. So you look after certain services um, or what kind of benefits for you. But if I would be a startup or a smaller organization going into a cloud, I, I would not directly see the value of a multi-cloud strategy um, because there's a cost to it, right? You need to maintain the skill sets, the teams that can manage these. They all have their intricate um, differences that your, um, your technology teams need to know and be able to handle. Um, so there's some challenges that come with that. And I think those challenges become easier when you've got scale um, but I, you'll you'll have to make a decision first on capability. I think when you choose a cloud provider before you even go into multi-cloud. Um, as much as BigQuery is really great capability, um, if you already have an AWS footprint, sure BigQuery can can connect to an S3 bucket, but that's a lot of data that goes between clouds. There's a there's a cost and a latency to that. Um, is that really going to benefit your your case there of just trying to leverage? My BigQuery has some really um, fun stuff that is attached to it, but maybe it's better just to keep S3 to a Redshift bucket and and keep it into a single cloud provider than trying to go multi-cloud just for that maybe differentiating factor that you think BigQuery gives to you. Yeah, really, really good point. So that's, that definitely takes us into, into um, a topic that I wanted to, to explore uh, more broadly, which we might start with, um, oh, sorry, with the topic being um, recommendations and, and, um, and, and how you guys, um, any tips or advice that you have for people either thinking of multi-cloud or moving into multi-cloud. Maybe I'll start with frustrations. Um, what, what are your particular frustrations in this space, um, smiles from both of you. Um, so it might be, it might be a good area to, to explore what's, um, what's either harder than what it should be. Um, what are some, some pain points in the journey? Um, what are your sources of frustration in, in the multi-cloud world? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. maybe I think the, 
first one that springs to mind is just onboarding, right? Like, so, so there's a whole, before you can do anything in a public cloud, you've got to go and say, prove to your cybersecurity team and your procurement team and your legal team and everybody else is the many, many stakeholders that are involved in a large organization that you can do it safely and you can do it successfully, right? And so that's a significant process and, and a very protracted process, right? And it's all set up costs. So you're not, while you're doing that, you're not really delivering anything exciting to anybody. You're just kind of spending money in order to get that, get everything set up and going. So I think that just the time that takes is, is, is you know, that, that's just a sunk cost for you. So that's something I would think when you're doing a multi-cloud journey, I think you've really got to be going to that with your eyes open because I think um, my experience has been that people underestimate that that process and how much it can cost and how long it can take in a big organization. So that's the first thing. Um, I think the second thing is, you know, the reality is if you're operating multiple clouds, then you, even if you're using Kubernetes, which you absolutely should, and containers, which you absolutely should, and trying to abstract yourself away from the underlying infrastructure, there's going to be costs. Like you're going to have people who understand BigQuery and people who understand different people who understand S3 permissions and all that. And those those things work very similarly, but they're not the same. And so you, that's that's extra cost that you're going to incur. So, you know, and that's not to say you shouldn't do it. Um, I think, you know, in a, in a large organization, large corporate environment, yeah. But but if I was a, like a small startup, then I absolutely would not. <laughs> I'll just go pick one, execute, deliver value, make lots of money, sell to someone big. <laughs> Something like that. Love <laughs> it. Off a boat. <laughs> Stand from your side, frustrations, pain points. Uh, so, what's more difficult than what you I, Sorry. I, I echo Kieran just the hoops to get through, let's say, security sign off in an organization can be cumbersome, but they're they're necessary, right? As I for the organizations that Kieran and I work for, we don't necessarily want to take any risk there. Um, it's too dear to our customers and our own heart to to take a very liberal approach to that. I think Frustration for me comes with um, trying to manage the agility that actually sits with it. If you look at the technology landscape and how quickly that changes, it's, I think, for everybody, a big challenge to kind of stay on top of things. Things vary very quickly, right? In a year's time, you can have wildly different things. I remember two, three years ago, let's say Snowflake was the, the, the biggest uh, data provider. Now you see everybody jumping on Databricks. Now, so the biggest frustration I kind of have is that what these companies do very well is sell the possible, but it tends to be um, a lot of marketing. And a lot of these initial capabilities are great, but they're very niche and not well-rounded. So we've, we've explored certain things that were just not mature enough and sank too much time into them and having to pivot them. So there's learnings there that you kind of want to take, and that's, um, obviously, sometimes you retrospect as in, was that the right call? How can we prevent these kind of things of going um, awry? And how can we stay nimble? The reality is you all test and learn and you'll uh, you'll hit a couple of snags that are just part of, of life and doing business. But so I think that's, let's say, my frustration is how do we really um, stay on top of those things without trying to jump on the new thing is create things that are sustainable. Yeah, great, great. Um, so I've yeah I've got um, a few other questions I want to throw you away, but I, I'm seeing lots of questions coming from the audience. So let's cover some of those. Um, so Rags is asking, um, 
is there any cloud provider that has a USP that no other competitor has? So uh, a unique uh, selling proposition, uh, a differentiator that sets them apart, and it might be in one specific area, um, and maybe not across the board, but what what is um, what are the, the unique USPs uh, that you guys see in the different cloud providers? Let me maybe touch it on, on, on a couple. I should check where, where I get the most royalties. But um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, if you look at it from um, Azure, right, uh, Microsoft, there are great synergies of um, Office 365 and the capability, et cetera. That's a unique selling point because it goes beyond, let's say, um, infrastructure or um, let's say more of your warehousing capability and goes to your productivity line. And there's good good integration there. Um, obviously they've got other integration that they can do in the multi-cloud, et cetera. Um, AWS has been on for a long time, probably in my opinion, most well-rounded um, depends, right? So um, there for the rest, to be honest, they're still quite generic across the board. They all tend to pick up each other's capability at a certain point and they do it really quick. So what, um, right to the previous question, my frustration sometimes, and you think, oh, that's really good capability. You're adopting that um, five months later down the track, uh, Google or AWS will have kind of similar features released, et cetera, or you buy proprietary software and then suddenly Sage Maker comes along and you've got the science platforms that are easily integrated in your S3 buckets. So um, it's really difficult to, I would not bet on the unique selling point with us. You're probably being the only one there that I find has a bit of a um, an edge over others, but that goes more into the, your productivity cyclone for the organization, which is less my, my core. Very interesting. Um, Kieran, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I agree with all that. But I, I think the only thing I'd add was I've, all, I've always thought that Microsoft's killer app isn't Excel or Word or Windows; it's Active Directory. Right? And if you're a big corporate or even a small corporate, you're almost certainly got Active Directory somewhere. And you know, just having the ability to just flick that on in Azure is pretty cool. Right? I think that's a real competitive edge for them, and it gets you in quickly. Um, but the rest, you know, the rest of it, I think, you know, uh, I think each one has a couple of things. It's really, really good. S3, I think, is really great. And AWS, you know, I'm a big fan of that. And BigQuery, I'm a big fan of that. So, and some of the AI stuff in GCP. But, you know, but Stan's exactly right. You know, everything else is, is kind of like moving around and they, they're they competing really, really effectively, which I think is great for the consumer, right, at the end of the day, because that's giving us a lot of value. So. Hopefully they keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. Um, we got a question from Bryn who says, um, how much of the drive around multi-cloud do you see coming from regulators managing systemic risk versus a true business benefit um, that's driven from internally? I think uh, the regulator is a big driver in, in that strategy. But so that drives towards multi-cloud because ten organizations tend to not want to have their own data centers anymore. And let's say these Austin recovery scenarios were typically solved by having a data center in Sydney and one in Melbourne, um, at least for an Australian business. Um, Multi-cloud allows you to potentially jump out of that 
either whether you have a hybrid cloud, so an, an on-premise private cloud and a public cloud combo or to public cloud or multiple um, is, is a big driver. Um, because the regulator at least tends to go, you need to have a solution and they look at that from two perspectives, both from, is it technically um, different? Um, but they also look at the provider and that is where multi-cloud comes into because the regulator will not be happy that you say only say, um, well, I've got high availability and failovers in AWS because they will go, you've got a single supplier risk. What if something happens with Amazon? Then you're yeah. no longer able to oblige with your uh, customer obligations. So um, it's a big driver for us, at least, to go to that because cost, yeah, that is good, but it's not that big of a difference. Um, that regulatory is, is, a, is a big one in why, um, at least for us, we pursue a multi-cloud strategy. Yeah, great. We've got, um, we'll do a couple more um, audience questions and then we, we might look through the, the poll results um, before, before wrapping up. So a question from Jason is, uh, with multi-cloud, would you do something small in each cloud or would you build out one and then try to match what's required in, in other clouds? Um, similar to what you guys were saying before, I think the answer might be, double down on one, but I still wanted to pose the, the question to you guys uh, in case there's a different view. I would double down on one, um, just especially if you don't have much experience in in just cloud overall, you want to build up that experience first. And what you do in one is to a certain extent quite similar in the other. It's only once you've got really good capability that I would explore, let's say, differences. Um, in terms of capability or trying to work on multiple workloads in different providers. Um, I think everybody struggles with finding the right talent or keeping the, the skills up to date and multi-cloud just makes that problem bigger for you. So why why tackle that? That would be my approach. Oh, mate. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What we did, we, we didn't go straight into the public cloud, at least in data, right? We built our own private cloud because we needed to get skills in how to deploy containers, how to how to wire up GitHub Actions or GitHub, all those different things. There's a lot of skill that you need there and a lot of differences in the ways of working that you need in order to effectively run you know, a single cloud strategy, to be frank, let alone a multi-cloud strategy. So you've got to go up that maturity curve and be realistic what people can, can take on at any given time. Awesome, awesome, thank you. And there's a question from Adam, um, that says, how does data quality and governance play a role in your multi-cloud strategy? I find that an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I um, governance in the sense that you need to govern these environments. You need to know what kind of your controls are, etc. How data quality comes into play, I'm not quite sure. I look at data quality as in, um, so what's kind of, let's say, the trust that my data provides and how do I provide that towards, let's say, my my consumers. I don't think multi-cloud plays a lot in that. I don't see how data quality would potentially change. There is an element here of, let's say, metadata orchestration that you will um, hopefully pursue to make that a little bit more um, easily. And yes, there are differences there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested in too, what was kind of the data quality side of the question. Governance definitely. Um, governance is is important. We 
you don't want to let that go awry or you're back into the wall. Well, Vista is like your incident of early cloud and that you need to have those controls. Otherwise, um, you're really going to be challenged. Yeah, I think, yeah, to what Stan said about um, metadata, that's that's something that some of the cloud vendors can help you out with. Um, and just trying to expose uh, the, the data quality challenges, give, get, put more eyes on it, make it more visible to people what the impact of poor data is that can help you with that business has to, to improve it, right? So some of the vendors can help you with that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, so let's jump into, into the poll. I still see some, some answers coming in. Um, so for, uh, for, for the, the people in the audience, um, if you answer the poll, you get to see the results. I'll leave it open a little bit longer just because there's, there's still more answers coming in. But question one was, do you have a multi-cloud strategy? And 45% of people said no, 33% um, of people said yes, and 20% of people said thinking about it. Um, any any um, thoughts, Stan or Kieran, for, for people um, in this step? Uh, doesn't necessarily surprise me. I think having a multi-cloud strategy really needs to have a certain purpose. And I think, yes, regulatory disaster recovery can be um, will be most likely a main driver or why organizations have that. Um, but if you're a small organization, why, why go multi-cloud? I don't, I don't see too many advantages, more problems for yourself as you try to be, everybody tries to be nimble and agile. So um, doesn't surprise me. Uh, multi-cloud is not necessarily the right strategy for everybody. Yeah, too true. Yeah. Um, Kieran, I'll ask you about uh, question number two. That was, um, for people that have a multi-cloud strategy, do you find that your organization is properly leveraging that multi-cloud? Um, so, uh, sorry, and we have, um, sorry, I should have said the results of the poll. So 52% of people said no, they're not, they're not properly leveraging. 31% um, of people said getting there. And 15%, 16% of people said yes, they are. They feel like they're getting good use uh, of the multi-cloud side. Um, any thoughts from you? I want to go and work with the people who said yes. I think that's you know, it's it's such a complicated thing to get right. They must be they must be kicking goals, right? <laughs> but um, so I was surprised that anyone said yes to that. But but um, but uh, yeah, I think you know, in, in all seriousness, I think you know, it is it is it does add extra complexity, right? And it, it and to properly leverage it, you do need those controls and and you know and, and really understand and, and automation and, and um, what you're going to do. That we were talking about earlier, and what are you looking to achieve? I think is the most and keeping that really at the forefront as the lighthouse. You know, what what what's the purpose of having it, and then going from that. Yeah, great. Um, the next question was around um, uh, getting a sense on how. Um, regulated the industries are for the audience. So 58% of people said that they're in a heavily regulated industry. 42% uh, of people said no. And um, the the last question of the poll, and I'll get I'll get both of your thoughts on this one, around uh, the barriers to multi-cloud adoption. Um, so people said that they perceive uh, or they feel like the barriers are size to with 40%. Um, Twenty-eight percent of people said lack of skill sets needed. Percent of people said the cost, and then we had twenty percent of people say that there's other factors as well. Uh, from from your perspectives, um, any any thoughts? I think skill set uh, at least is what I'm facing into. 
right, team size or cost, right, cost, you can translate it team size. I think, um, I don't know about Kieran, but I don't have massive teams to be able to do that. But you are, you do need to have capable people that can handle a lot of different technologies and approaches. And so that skill set is rare or it takes a while to build up. Um, I think one of the bigger barriers was more internally in the organization to align everything up because multi-cloud to do it effectively tends to smash. You need to smash certain barriers. Um, we've gone from in our data team from, let's say, your more traditional um, DBAs to genuine full stack in engineers, platform engineers that know the ins and outs of how to deploy, um, let's say Kubernetes, all the way down to the applications that we use. And so that skill set has drastically changed over the last couple of years. And that's where I find typically being the biggest challenge. Now, what I love is the, the young upcoming talent tends to kind of always come with that a little bit more clear that they are much more varied in their in their skill set or less technology focused and more agnostic to that. Um, but it's still a big challenge to find the right people or uh, just to have the flexibility to train people up over a while to be able to get that skill. Mate, 100%. Yeah, if we start talking about finding people, yeah. I might start crying. Like it's it's so tough, <laughs> <laughs> so tough at the yeah. moment. Um, Kieran, from, from your side? Um, yeah, I think everyone saw it since COVID hit, right? But up as the borders people were I think you know another aspect it's not just I think immigration it's also you know basically people being unsure of the future so not necessarily wanting to change jobs or change roles but just saying looking for a flight to safety in that sense and so I think um yeah so just getting anybody to <laughs> you know recruitment in general let alone recruitment for multi-cloud is is difficult right so so yeah, and, and the, the skill sets that are needed here are incredibly in demand um, across the financial sector, but beyond that into the tech sector, um, even you know retail now needs those kind of skills as well. So you know, obviously that's a massive opportunity for everyone on this call at the moment. So, and also if you want to join IAG and come on the multi-cloud journey, then hit me up. 100%, that's great. Um, so we got a couple of minutes left, so we'll do one last question and it's about considerations of um, multi-cloud when it's combining private and public cloud. Um, are there any anything in particular, uh, any, any particular challenges that we haven't discussed that, that arise when we're combining private and public clouds? Um, maybe I can answer that. We, we, so we, we started with the private cloud, right? Because we wanted to build those skills as I was saying earlier. Um, obviously when you're moving a load, if that's what the question implies to, to the public cloud from private cloud, then you need to go through extra hoops like you would with any load and you and need to make sure that you're securing it properly and making sure that the governance aspects are all taken care of and the risk analysis, all those kind of good things. So you need to do that. But um, I think, you know, I say it's not necessarily a challenge, it's an opportunity in the sense that you can deploy and develop much more easily in a private cloud because you don't have the regulatory overhead so much, um, which allows you to get things done and deploy things and then where you identify value you can start to go okay this is one that's obviously going to be better in AWS or GCP or whatever it might be um, and well, from a cost point of view or you can take advantage of extra features that you can't on-prem then you can then you take advantage of the value in that sense. 
Great, great. Um, gents, I want to thank you so much. Stan, Kieran, this has been awesome. Um, great perspectives, uh, as I mentioned at the start. So we're getting so many questions, and you saw by how active the audience has been. So many questions on, on multi-cloud. Is it right from our organization? How do we make the leap? Are we making the best use of it? Uh, you guys have helped us with heaps of clarity on all that. So really thank you for your time, for your insights, for sharing your experience and perspectives. It's been awesome. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, mate. Thank Thanks you so much, Jens. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.